Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, NBA friends, we are coming down the stretch in this chaotic but entertaining NBA season. And down the stretch and they down come. down the stretch they come. <laughs> and there are – nobody did that better than Letterman, by the way. <laughs> And there is the best, the best. And there is a few pressing questions to be answered here, guys. Like which teams will be healthy as we enter the playoffs? None. Probably none. How will the races for the top seeds and the respective conferences play out? And the subplot that has had our listeners riveted all season long. Will the Wizards make the playoffs? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, eight straight will do it, my friend. I mean, riveted is one word for it. (laughs) I mean, the genius that is Scott Brooks. He he found a way to break Curry's streak of 30 plus points a game. I mean, I say Stan is a genius, but and for weeks I was calling for Scott Brooks fired. Oh, I, I think he went from being called for to be fired to ultimately pulling out to, uh, ultimately get, coach of the year i mean i think he's making a late run right oh, I think it's him and nate mcmillan yeah. <laughs> can you can you win coach of the year if you coach less than half a season <laughs> yeah does the harden mvp rule apply to coach of the year too i mean guys the two teams that we that's put, true <laughs> the two teams we put on center stage the hawks and the wizards their coaches may be in a tight race for coach of the year actually i I think uh, it's probably not going to be one of them. Who would be coach of the year at this point? Nash? Nash Quinn, I think Quinn, is Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Quinn Snyder. Monty Williams, I think, is probably has a good run at it. Chris Paul. Yeah, Snyder. I think Snyder. If, if they get the number one seed, it's got to be Snyder. Absolutely. Guys, I got I got some more things here. Speaking of Stephen Curry, he is now in consideration for MVP on the heels of the Joker. If Curry can find a way to win his third MVP, maybe, just maybe, he will gain the respect of Todd from Idaho, and Michael Jordan will now be open to consider him <laughs> as Hall of Fame worthy. Is that enough for Jordan? Three titles. I don't think it's Hall of Fame worthy. He's he's considering making an offer to have him return to Charlotte and play out his years for the Hornets, but it's still he's still he's still weighing his options. (laughs) He's still not sure. Is he set Jordan Jordan and Mitch Kupchak were considering if Curry could back up Malik Monk in <laughs> next year or maybe in his next contract. So do you think uh, Jordan, because Del, Del Curry, is he still like the the uh, color commentator for? Yes. So he just, yes. He, he, so Jordan gets him in the office and says, all right, we got to get your set here. We need you to be the primary recruiter. Can you bring him in? Uh, they do. Is that what they're going to do? Nope. Jordan hasn't talked to Dell in nine years, but otherwise, it's <laughs> the perfect plan. Actually, you think about it for Dell, it worked out great. He's 
He's uh, been the color commentator for one of the worst franchises in the league over the last decade. So he's able to attend every playoff game that his son or sons have because he's off the rest of the summer, baby. It doesn't matter. No, no playoffs in Charlotte. Maybe this year will be a little different, though. This is a off the rails here. We're going to get into the, the 90s uh, Del Curry Hornets. But do you know who Steph Curry said his favorite player was growing up? Since he was, uh, you know, grew up in that uh, environment, being around that team, from that team, who his favorite player was? M- Muggsy. Yeah, Muggsy. Surely Muggsy yeah. Bodes, right? Yeah. Oh. Little known fact for you, Curry fans. Was, was out that there. supposed to be? Why, why couldn't that have been our? Why couldn't that have been our trivia question? I would have nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Save these for the later research department. LJ, Alonzo Morning, Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> how how good would Del Curry or, be today, though? I mean, he's not the most athletic defender, but like a t- a decently tall, like smart shooter who could just like cast until he was forty. I mean, he would be. I mean, he must be like. I mean, don't get me wrong. My son Steph is one of the greatest players ever. But if Seth can be out there starting in the NBA, I was the sixth <laughs> man my whole career, man. If I was playing today, I'd be running up and down on Seth. <laughs> that little little guy, <laughs> little, little run of the litter. <laughs> The other thing about it with the Currys is everyone's, you know, oh, Steph, you know, he's such a small guy. He can do such great things. His dad is an NBA player. He met his mom in they were in Virginia Tech. I think his mom's a D1 volleyball, volleyball player, player yeah. okay? And Curry's an amazing golfer, an amazing athlete. And it's like, you know, one thing we're learning about sports, I think baseball's the big push here, and I've learned it from a friend of mine, uh, Tim, who's like very into like the plyometrics and the way baseball, you know, the last decade especially has started to analyze the body and how you can throw. So these pitchers can just through videotape, through analysis, they can start to learn. Like everyone can like learn to throw hard if you just kind of like it's like biomechanics. Like if you do these things, you'll be able to throw hard. You need some talent, but like that can take it to the next the next level. Um, and it's like. You, you realize with these guys, like, there's a big overlap between baseball and being a quarterback because it's, like, the same throwing motion. So, like, the really sort of elite quarterback coaches teach them by doing baseball drills, actually, which is pretty crazy. Like, Tom House was a um, pitching coach for a long time in the majors, and he started a football training facility that a lot of guys go there. And it's weird. Like, Tom Brady – you know, we all know low draft pick, you know, that ugly photo of him at the combine. Okay. Aaron Rodgers almost didn't even play. He went to play in a a community college. Like he didn't even have any offers to go anywhere. He almost stopped just to go to like, go to school. Both of the two of the greatest quarterbacks ever, both really good baseball players. Brady drafted in the minor leagues. Rodgers wasn't, but he was a really good baseball player growing up. It's, it, I just think the criticism of some of these guys, the way we look at athletic ability is like we look at the wrong things. It's like, yes, ju- and, and, and hoops, jumping, vertical, lateral quickness, incredibly important. If you have that like Zion, you're just going to dominate. But like there's a level of athleticism that Steph has that is is even beyond his work ethic and all the great things he's done and like what a leader he is. It's like the guy is a, is a, is a freak, of, freak athlete, just not in the ways we always look at it. But and his dad was an NBA player. Like this isn't a shock that he's this good. I know he looked like he was nine years old when he was in college, but it's not like I mean, he came from like he didn't come from nowhere. Well, you know how they have well, um, for- they have different 
categories to measure intelligence. And one of the categories is, you know, body kinesthetic intelligence. And part of that is, it's not just your athleticism, it's, it's coordination. I remember with Curry, they talk about when he would go bowling, he would like kill everybody in bowling. I mean, even just his ability to almost when he shoots three quarters lengths of the court and can hit the rim, like the, the majority of the time, there is a level, a genius level of coordination that, that Curry has. And I think that the combination that the athletic part actually came more from his mom, the basketball gene shooting, you know, dad. So it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all coming together. And Seth, well for and Seth didn't get either. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, first of all, Aaron Rodgers baseball pro, uh, uh, capability shout out Beaver and Babe Ruth. So that's a throwback. Uh, but second, I think it's, I think, I think, it's I think it's Murray Hill Little League. But yeah, continue. continue. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, why does in basketball are do we overrate the sort of sparkiness? You know, the 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 jumping running that that is necessary for such a complex game, right? Basketball, right? There's 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 feel for the game. There's there's technical skills, and then there's the kind of physical giftings that are obviously necessary. To play the game, whereas a game like football obviously has a lot of strategy involved, but is quite a bit more dependent, particularly in a lot of the positions around just your physical aptitude. I mean, why? Wh- where do you think basketball became so, you know, so misguided in a lot of ways? It's to to miscast a player like Steph Curry so significantly, where you're, he's the third point guard in his own draft. Two words: David Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> And that explains a lot of it. I, I think it's it's just it's an easier way to draft. Is you know the draft is really a it's a pick'em. It's you know it's a William Goldman, no one knows anything situation. You know <laughs> William Goldman, the famous screenwriter and writer. You know, you know that was his line about Hollywood. Like no one knows anything except like, Jerry West. He, so for Jerry West, exactly. I actually, as an aside, met William Goldman, one of my heroes, one of the great writers and screenwriters I've ever met him at a uh, Who's for Hope fundraiser. Thank you, Mark Crandall. That was a highlight. Uh, is is um, no one knows anything, and you see it right now with the NFL draft. I mean, just to change sports for a second, the drafts this week, and there all these teams are trying to figure out which quarterback should we draft. Is it you know Trevor Lawrence is going to go first? But there's all these other quarterbacks. It's like, is it Justin Fields? Is it the guy from BYU who wasn't supposed to be the starter this last year and got destroyed by UW last year? But just maybe he's the guy now in the number two pick. Zach Wilson can throw it really far. Yeah. Just remember that. But I think it, it's like they brought up stuff from like three years ago, four years ago, where like Pat Mahomes is like a fourth round pick. I mean, that's what people were saying. Like scouts were telling them that. So no one knows anything. And so what you do is you try and say, Oh, here are the things that you need to be, you know, an NBA player or a quarterback or whatever. And it's like you just kind of look at that and it's, you know, again, it doesn't play David Kahn picking Johnny Flynn over <laughs> Steph Curry. So I think but I think you just try and figure it out. You try and look at it. And I think it's really hard. I mean, there's just not many guys who can, you know, evaluate talent. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Like Sam Presti had the greatest great run of drafting to build that team. You know, post Durant getting Westbrook and Harden and Ibaka, and he drafted James Harden over Steph Curry. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Look, looking back at it, like he probably should have drafted Steph Curry. 
I mean, wow. we could argue about that, but it's pretty crazy. <laughs> All right, guys, got uh, a little more to go here with the monologue. Um, I had a trip. Hey, D Love, I, I I was I was just wondering. Though, I mean, it's great to it's it's so great having a monologue and a host. Where were you last night, buddy? The the Oscars could have used you. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. At least you start our show, you end our show. I mean, well, they're done with you the host, right? Joaquin was- Phoenix, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's like we need. We're glad you're here. I think the Oscars <laughs> missed you in Union Station. By the way, it's a beautiful, beautiful train station. We record Not the best Oscars though. We- Anyone watched it actually? Well, we recorded the, the Oscars, and then we realized that something went haywire, and we didn't get the first twenty minutes. So actually, we're going to go back and watch that later. But maybe it's not worth doing. I don't know. Well, the intro actually—that was the one part I liked about. It. I didn't watch all of it, but the Soderbergh intro, which kind of just—it was just like a long tracking shot, um, you know, to start off the Oscars was pretty cool, and just kind of presenting it more like a movie. But I was hoping more there'd be more kind of movie-like stuff, and instead it ended up being, like, actors talking about how great other actors are. And it always reminds me of, like, Sean Penn. I think Chris Rock was hosting, and he went after Jude Law. And then Sean Penn <laughs> got up later, and he's like... The accountant's thing. He's like, Jude Law. Jude one Law is one of, of our finest actors. Yeah. You know, it was like he was shaking his fist at Chris Rock. It's <laughs> like no one takes themselves more seriously than someone who's like attractive and can talk well. I mean, that's like, you know, that's that's but you got to be smart, too. It's like uh, not most of us don't get the trifecta, Sean. You know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready for the bring back the host campaign. So my favorite D love D love D love. <laughs> I'm available as a as a, uh, Uma, a joke writer. Oprah, if... Oprah, Uma, <laughs> the most underrated performance of all time, David Letterman. It was. Letterman. It was hilarious. Yeah, Letterman was great. Chris Rock was great a couple years ago. I like the comedy part of it. Um, Hugh Jackman, underrated. Underrated. Ellen was great. Michael, do you care to weigh in? Do you have a favorite host? <laughs> so this the, is awesome. The Johnny Carson don't watch the Oscars. They don't watch. They don't watch stuff like that anymore. They just look for the clips. They just watch the clips. Not even that, my friend. Wait, is this the is, two, two small humans means I had to cut some things out of my life? Is this the get off my tiny millennial yard segment? Is that what we got? I mean, the year the year of, of movies is not exactly exemplary this year. So I mean, it feels like if there's a year to bow out, this was the one. Bob Hope was a good uh, host. <laughs> <laughs> Carry God. So the Blazers, I had a better transition to this early on, but it doesn't work now. It's good practice for next year. <laughs> so the Blazers have been floundering of late, guys. Uh, but, but, but guys, story. did you guys see the end, though? Did you see the end? They set it up so that Chadwick Boseman, they, the last, they switched it all around. So the last award, the last Academy Award was for Best Actor. Chadwick Boseman, R.I.P. Yeah. Amazing actor i mean just a huge loss you know i did not see ma rainey's black bottom and i don't know probably none of us did but i'm sure he was amazing in it you know he's nominated for best actor they put it last because it's like oh he's probably gonna win and what an amazing moment that will be (laughs) not only does he not win anthony hopkins wins and anthony hopkins is not there and also not in any of the satellite locations (laughs) No. And Joaquin Phoenix has to accept the award oh, on behalf of oh, Anthony Hopkins. Trauma. And it just goes to like the music. And Questlove's like, 
It was great. Like DJs them out. I want Joaquin. You had one job. I want Joaquin Phoenix. I want Joaquin Phoenix to host next year. Let's have him host. He looks so annoyed. Was like, was did he present better than he did that time he went on Letterman, Phoenix? Yeah, Casey Affleck wasn't there. Yeah, that was that was a bit. So it's just why so serious, <laughs> Mr. Phoenix. So guys, the Blazers are on the verge of um, of having to play in the the, the play in tournament. Complete meltdown. Yes. Wait, on the verge. They they are roughly they they're firmly cemented in all likelihood in the play in tournament, yes, my I friend. Know. The question is whether they're 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 in the uh, the the bottom tier or the top. Well, tier. we're at least going to be. Uh, well, I think we're at least going to be in the top, but. If this continues, uh, there is time for Golden State and San Antonio to overtake them. And as enticing, Jason Quick, Jason Quick, by the way, has been biding his time. He's been waiting. He's been waiting for the implosion, the Stotts implosion, to just go for the jugular. It's been like the. It's been the greatest. Like you know, Stotts, Lillard. What a great, solid, you know, uh, institution. What a great uh, franchise we have here, and. It starts to go south, and it's just like the 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 sharks are circling right now. I don't know all the little love. I think uh, I think our guy Dave Deckard was onto something. <laughs> he was he was an early skeptic from Blazers Edge. He did not see it. <laughs> Bring back Witsit. Bring back Witsit. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we won we won the play in tournament last year. So, yeah, it would be nice to be back-to-back champions. I know that's not really a thing. It's a bit of a stretch to say that. But Do you get a banner for that? We, we can make our own banners or our own trophies for it. Uh, but I do hope the Blazers can find another gear here and maybe somehow spare us the stress of having to win one. Or, yes, if we fell into the lower bracket, we'd have to win two games to get into the playoffs. So, yeah, that's a stress that Blazer fans don't need. But, um, you know, we're love, have for you, it. Uh, as our resident Blazer fan, have you have you been trying the old Jim Eney trick of when your team starts doing bad, you just don't watch, or more likely they start doing bad during the game and you storm out to the other side, or everyone else leaves because of how frustrated you are? <laughs> that feels like a trick Tommy question. Maddox, this one's for you. Uh, D, have you been watching the Blazers? Have you been watching the Blazers? This- have you been living this day to day? This feels like a, a setup question. Um, I will assert my Fifth Amendment right to are you, as a fan. Are you avoiding it at any cost? <laughs> I don't want to say I'm, I'm a fair-weathered fan. Um, where do you fall on the call no, it's on, not the, on the Stotts train? No, where do you? Where are you at the Stotts? Because there's, I mean, a lot. We have a lot of Blazer fan. I think listeners in, and it's an interesting sort of concept. I think is how much of the criticism is due and fair for Stotts versus does it sort of run up the, the run up the flagpole to someone like Olshay and the, the team building issues that are ultimately rearing their head at the worst time or does it fall on the players? Is Has Lillard sort of ultimately sort of pushed himself too hard early in the year and he's sort of run out of gas? I mean, where do you find the blame here in a situation where, you know, they've always – outperformed yes. their capabilities. Yes. I mean, their net rating has always been about zero or negative for much of the year. And they were at one point, I think nine or 10 games above 500 with a negative net rating, which is just, it's a mathematical oddity to be honest. 
That said, the idea that they're coming back to, to earth at just the perfectly wrong time. They're in the seventh seed. They're a half game above the Memphis in the in the eighth seed. And they're only a game and a half above Golden State in the tenth seed. I mean, it's not impossible that they drop into the bottom bracket. The Wizards going are going to take, take their spot. Oh, wait. Not the <laughs> I mean, so where do you find yourself? Kind of assigning blame because we know as fans, right? We always got to blame somebody. There's got there's got to be hope to move forward. So so what do you what change do you need to yeah, see? Yeah, I mean everybody's got to take their hits a little bit. So there there's a you can't nobody gets off scot free when you're all struggling. But if I were to do a breakdown, I don't think a lot goes on Stotts. Um, Stotts has had a great run as a Blazers coach. I think maybe like I think Deckard would say that there is a problem with how this team is constructed and that's the fundamental issue that this team the roster is flawed uh, the ceiling is limited we have just too many liabilities on defense i mean as, as great as Cantor has been at times channeling a, a bill russell and a will chamberlain stop, i mean stop. night to night right we can't there is a reason that he's been on you know many teams in the last uh, several years uh, I do love Cantor. You're though. turning on Enos. You're turning on Enos. My, <laughs> no, I'm forever Michael grateful. Michael and I guy, will nev- never turn on Enos. The Enies will never turn no, on the, Enos. The guy had to play on a separated shoulder guarding the Joker a couple years ago, and we won the series in seven games. So I am forever grateful for him. I'm just saying the overall picture, <laughs> there are, all some, are there's some flaws here. Uh, and Lillard's been, you know, he's been a little banged up. So the idea of pu- of him pushing too hard or us pushing him too hard or asking too much, uh, you know, there's there's room for that too. But looking at his whole body of work, I I think Stotts has had a great run. I don't think he's I think he's still well liked. I don't think the it's not the Stan Van Gundy thing where everyone's where guys are are tuning him out, uh, which again is not your fault, Stan. You just keep being you. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. I mean, is whether Stotts is responsible for the performance this year or not? Do you think it it could be time that he just needs a you need a new voice? I mean, is that part of it? Whether it's his fault or not, it's just you know you can't really trade out a lot. Some of the players, at least, uh, whereas the coach is often the, the the easiest culprit in these situations. I mean, do you whether you want it or not? Do you think Stotts comes back next year, or do you think it all depends on how this playoff thing runs? I would say it's it's probably touch and go. I think it's a good it's a good question. We were talking about that I think with Brad Stevens and uh, what was the Larry Brown exactly Larry Brown no, exactly. yeah Larry Brown used to say uh, I can only stay at a team for like three or four years at the most because because you, you, they need a fresh voice after a while or change for the sake of change. So it, it has to be considered. I think if they do make some kind of a, a at least a little bit of a push obviously we need to get in the playoffs uh if obviously if there was an upset i think that would extend his time or maybe even just pushing if it was a two or three seed well probably a two seed you know um making it an interesting series i think i want to say that there's yeah there's loyalty toward him and gratitude toward what he's done but you know, it is the way it goes. That's what happened with, you know, whether it's Jack Ramsey or Adelman, I guess, was only five years. But, uh, you know, Adelman had his eight-year run in Sacramento, and that was like, oh, we need a new voice kind of thing. He's done well, but whatever. So it might be that time. They'll have to consider it. But uh, what what do you guys think? Is this Stott's final run with the Blazers here, the last leg? 
Yeah, I, I think they've you know, they've had a lot of injuries, and I, I think this has been a more of a correction to the mean, as as Michael noted. They I mean they had a negative point differential and relative to their relatively high place in the seedings and standings of the Western Conference. So, in a way, this was coming eventually. It's I, I think that the the issue is that the team is. Just the mix isn't there, and I and I and I think it is like this tension between how it's been constructed and how it's being coached. And so you have a guy like, you know, you, you know Neil O'Shea says, okay, we need to bring in some more perimeter defenders, some some guys who aren't six two and aren't seven two, so we can kind of guard people across the you know the forwards and the off guards. So they go get um, a couple guys to to do that and they've sort of it's sort of been a mixed bag and then you you have Derek Jones who's not even playing and and again I don't think Derek Jones is you know the answer to these problems but it's still it's just interesting that again the team gave they said we need a guy like this they gave him that guy and then he's not really playing him so it does feel a little bit like the Steven Celtic situation where it's just like a disconnect and like you know (laughs) Olshay needs to like trade the guys, like like Hollis Jefferson comes in now. He's playing a ton of minutes for them on a ten day contract ahead of these other guys that they have. And, and we knew and we talked about it, Covington is not like a great on ball defender. He's he's not going to go like stop guys one on one. He's a great help defender. He's solid defender, you know. But he's he's not he's not like a Kobe stopper Kobe stopper type of person. Not that anyone is or was. But it's 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 just a different. The mix just is not coming together. I think the biggest criticism for Stotts for me is just that they can't even get the defense to be mediocre. Like, it's just hard when you're at the bottom. They're the 29th or 30th, I think, all season in terms of defense. Like, you have to get it up into like the like low 20s, high teens. Like, you got to get it up there. And if you're not doing that, then that's just a tough situation. And I and I and I know he has to deal with McCollum and Lillard defensively, who are both mediocre to poor defenders and they can't really guard good guards so it's just like they're already starting at a deficit just off the off the stop but again playing Cantor and Carmelo together all the time that that's the part with Stotts I don't really get is like does he not see that that's a problem or he just doesn't care anymore or like is it just you know Cantor gone through the worst for him or I just that's the part that doesn't really make sense to me and so that's where I wonder if it's just time. And but I think you nailed it, D. It's like the Stevens effect. It's like if you had been in a place nine years like Stotts and you've never won anything, like again, people continuing on forever that have never like even gone to the finals, just not I mean not nine years is forever, but I mean the guys who stay around it longer than that are like this you know, either they win like Popovich or they like get close like Sloan and they just kind of keep going. Slight, slight correction. We won the bubble play in tournament. Uh, that's again, true. Last that's year, true. The Memphis, One of the top Memphis. five highlights following the 77 championship. Yes. yes. They were a three seed in 2018. We won't talk about what happened in the playoffs. No recollection of that. Well, it's, I think it's a fascinating dynamic that the Carmelo Cantor minutes, I just – the lack of flexibility and I, coaches do this sometimes. And I, I just don't understand sometimes this insistence to continue with a specific rotation, particularly when it, it continually proves to just be a tire fire. I mean, those two guys as backline defenders, especially right when you have, 
either of the of the mighty might guards sort of leading the way alone um in the, with the second unit it just it puts them in such a tough position defensively and 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 I, i'm so curious what olshay would say in terms of his team building strategy when he brought in covington i mean that's covington again we've discussed this on the pod i think this was sort of acknowledged towards the end of last year when I think in the second round series, LeBron James was actively ISOing, you know, noted defender Robert Covington in the playoffs. Um, that that Covington does have a unique skill set that translates into an effective team defender, but he does have serious limitations as a perimeter defender in a one-on-one situation. And so, when you're trying to kind of stop gap the limitations of your two guards. You know, I'm curious, again, what Olshay would say in bringing in Covington and how he perceived that to solve the problem. I mean, do you guys have a beat on that? Because I just can't. I guess you're trying to build a, a, a top line, back line defense, and you sort of try to funnel everything. You just run guys off the three-point line and, and funnel everybody into the into the paint. But it's not like you have Rudy Gobert behind you. No, Yusuf Nurkic is, is not... He's not a he's not a total stiff defensively, but again he's you know he's not uh, he's not he's not Wilt or, or Russell by any means either. So, I mean, what do you guys? What was the strategy there? Do you think? I think Neil O'Shea said, "Get me Amino and get me Harkless back in here." <laughs> and Covington and Jones showed up, and it's just, I mean, it's like Portland Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's no, like it's like athletic guys who done. like are like can't really shoot. I mean, Covington's shot better. Derek Jones really can't shoot. Like it's it's just like the problem. Lillard and McCollum driving, throwing to right open wings. You really can't do anything with the ball. I mean, and we all liked them, right? We all liked we liked them top four. I think we all had them in the top four in the West, right? I mean, we all had them doing well. We like. I mean, I, even four or five. Yeah. Can't go back. And, I can't go back and say I didn't like the moves they made at the time, but it's just. I mean, I. I, I yeah, I mean, they're they're they're, they're running people off the three point line to push them into the paint into Enos Cantor. I mean, that's part of the problem of the strategy. It's like, but I, but I do think it's really hard because you see the Knicks success, like Thibodeau's playing Alfred Payton a lot. Like he's playing guys like Todd Gibson who like don't do anything offensively. Like to become a really good defensive team requires like everyone to work super hard and to play guys who are good on defense and are bad on offense. No, that's and, that's why uh, everything went south when uh, Ariza chose his kid over the Blazers so, in the oh bubble last year. <laughs> and I think I'll say maybe just um, bought into the, the reputation of Covington as being a good defensive player, but not knowing the distinction between that and him not being a good Okay, so I, I'm I'm curious if that is that's it. What I, that's do you my, think you that's literally just, just misjudged the situation? That would be my guess because I think he would know because, that you do not want someone that's actually not a good on the ball defender to come in. Yeah, I, I that's the question, right? And you watch the New York Knicks, and they're kind of they're kind of the bizarro inverse version of the Blazers in some ways, right? They have, I mean, right? They have some offensive firepower off the bench. Uh, you know, but by and large, they revolve around one high usage player in, in Julius Randle, who's having like an out of body experience for the entirety of the year. I mean, it, it's just so far and away unforeseen, but the rest of the team is basically built around being defenders and, and it's proved feasible. Now, I think that's probably mostly because they're in the East. But you also throw in Randall's capabilities. I mean, Lillard could easily be a player like that. And you, I'm just curious if you had Lillard playing the 
the James Harden type role that he played in Houston, if it ultimately is going to come back to a team building exercise. And I think I saw a guy on Twitter talking about kind of re-signing Norm Powell to give you more flexibility and then ultimately moving CJ on. I think as much of an end of an era that would be, it, it had felt to have some merit to me because you still have the firepower of the two guards, but you, you do have a little bit more defensive capabilities. You don't have two total sieves at the one and the two spots uh, as you kind of look forward into the future. Because again, this to me, they're bailing water. Lillard is amazing, and I don't, I don't put anything past him. But if they fall any further, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of concern. And frankly, as an NBA fan, more so than even a Blazer fan, I, I've got to be honest, I am kind of hoping for like an eight, nine matchup with Curry and Dame, oh. in a, in a, like a winner take all into the playoffs, loser go home match. I mean, that would absolutely just be a, a, a fire fest, man. Oh my that goodness. That sounds incredibly not the bad one, stressful. Like the real one. That sounds incredibly stressful. Real one. No, thank you. <laughs> But I'm sure, yes, to the rest of the NBA world, very entertaining matchup that would be. But but if that would be nuts. But if McCollum and Nurkic didn't get hurt, like, are we having this conversation right now, or are they safely a top four team? Right. I, mean, I think they're a top four team. If I mean McCollum was just going crazy before he got hurt, and Nurkic has been hurt. Now Nurkic has hurt a lot, so again, maybe you can't, you just can't count on that. Zach Collins could have helped for uh, with a few yeah, extra Zach ones. Zach Collins. Too, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I just. It's it's just I think it's still the struggle is like the bridge between the guards and Nurkic, um, and I and I and again I think they haven't got as much as they wanted at Covington, but even I just I just think like having a plan of it's just really it, it's hard I think it is hard was hard for Stotts and still now it's like okay you play Covington at the four, Nor, Powell plays the three, but you then have like. You know, McCollum and and, and uh, Lillard in the backcourt still. So it's like you don't really have a defensive team that way either. And even when they had Trent, it's like it doesn't really like. There's just a big gap between the guards and Nurkic, and they still are struggling to figure out like who fits into those spots. And again, to Michael's point, it may just be impossible, and you have to. But I wish that wasn't the case because it's it's like when you know Lillard and CJ McCollum are going, it's pretty fun to it's pretty fun basketball. Well, I, I do think it's one of the interesting things in, in as we look towards the playoffs, so whether it's the plan stuff or the seeding around 6-7 or the seedings in kind of the one through three rankings in, the, in the, both conferences, really. I mean, there's a lot to be sort of, you know, shaken out here as we approach the last, I don't know, I think three and a half weeks until the playoffs. We have about 10 to 12 games per, per team left. One of the things that I, I can't help shake from my head is watching a player like Steph Curry, who, again, is totally inferno right now, going against some of these elite centers. And this was like last week now, but it was, you know, whether it was Jokic or Embiid or Gobert at times, right? This, to me, one of the narratives of this season has been this resurgence of the dominant center, right? Jokic and Embiid are sort of one and two in terms of, the MVP favorites, and that's for a lot of reasons, but they have had really nice seasons. Gobert, right? You know, the the infamous John Hollinger sort of uh, down low MVP candidate, right? How is he the most important player on the Jazz? And, and David Thorpe, too. Coach Thorpe. Exactly. I mean, it, love us some Gobert. Of talk of these, of these three centers that are, are kind of dominating the – the storyline, at least to me, for the season, 
um, in terms of player performances. I mean, Clint Capella has been great. Carl Anthony Towns has made a, a, a nice comeback. I mean, the All-NBA teams are just totally spoken for for these three guys, and there's, there's more to go around, which has been such a difference to how centers have performed largely over the last decade. But I can't shake this idea of watching Curry just roast Embiid and Jokic for like 40 or 50 in, in both of their games. And I'm curious what you guys think. Like, are we approaching, like much of the playoff intrigue hinges on the Nuggets, albeit with Murray Hurt, the Sixers, uh, and the Jazz being competitive franchises. I mean, being like relevant teams in the the competition in the playoffs, right? And if if we're if this thing is coming down to to this this continued sort of split in the regular season and the playoffs, where centers are dominating in the regular season, but we get to the playoffs and it all of a sudden becomes a pick and roll hunting matchup, and these centers are getting played off the court. I, I have this like fear growing in me that we're we're approaching this moment where we're gonna see you know it's not gonna happen in the first round but we're gonna see like a second round matchup where Rudy Gobert can't play half a game against the Lakers or where Joel Embiid is playing against I don't know, I guess Embiid won't get played off until maybe the conference finals but you know that would be I mean he's so unique and maybe that doesn't even happen but even Jokic right as, what does his liability look like I mean are we approaching the playoffs where even though the centers have made a resurgence the guards are going going to going to kind of reascend to the basketball that we've come to kind of expect in the playoffs Yeah, I think that's I think that's a distinct possibility. I th- I think that's why Anthony Davis was so valuable last year because he can drop down and play center, and he can still come out and switch pick and roll. I mean that that's a, I mean it's kind of like in the Garnett sort of line, but in today's basketball, to have a, a a a dominant offensive big guy who can also switch pick and roll. I mean, we talk about rim protecting three point shooters, but a dominant offensive big guy who can switch pick and roll is like I mean that's that's it and it's that's why I think it's one of the things that's really saddened me in the last few weeks is just seeing Bogdan Bogdanovich and how dominant he's been for the Hawks which I know D-Love you're loving and Nate McMillan's loving but to, that he's not playing with Giannis because like they were onto something there like to have a fourth guy you can actually like create and do stuff and play off of each other Again, the fact that the Kings were like, you know, we're good. We don't we don't need another basketball player who can shoot and handle and distribute and, you know, <laughs> play on the ball or off the ball. It's kind of a nice thing to have these days. I mean, I, again, I they probably are just trying to, like, you know, they want to take their shot and not just tread water. But it's just saying goodbye to guys like that, even at $18 million a year or whatever it is. It's like, I mean, when Bertans is getting, like, $20 million a year, like, Bogdanovich 18 is a steal. And I, I, I just it, – it's just hard for me because it's – Giannis is that player. He's like the Anthony Davis, but even better. And – but they don't play him like that. They, 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 they still try and just play Lopez and do that. And it's just hard for me that they don't have a Bogdanovich. They don't have a, other guys that you're like, oh, man. Because if they had a Bogdanovich right now and they could play – if Tucker continues to show life – and they could go with Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, 
Bogdanovich and Tucker. And Tucker could kind of like and DiVincenzo. <laughs> DiVincenzo would be in Sacramento. <laughs> I mean, you knew that deal was almost done with the Kings because Robin Lopez pieced out and said no to his option because he did not want to go to Sacramento. So that, that was like that deal was done. I mean, that was that was it. So yeah, I mean, I, I just think it, it is fascinating. I mean, a question for you guys: Why is it so hard? Like why why don't they trap the pick and roll then, more, a little bit more? Now obviously like a team like Har- like the Rockets like if you trapped if you hard trapped Harden he's just gonna hit it to a shooter they're gonna swing it around and get an, an op- they're play four and three get an open shot but against the um, the Warriors like let's see do I want Steph coming off a pick and roll when Embiid drops off or do I want Embiid to come up and trap him and have him dump the ball to Draymond? And let Draymond play four and three. He can't shoot, or pass to two other guys who can't shoot. Like I think that's probably the like less efficient offensive play. But is it just the fact that like Embiid and Gobert and those guys don't want to play that way? They feel uncomfortable. They they just want to drop back, and like doing that won't work. I mean, I, I think the Nuggets tried. I mean, I remember there was some. I, the Nuggets tried some of that in their game. Jokic tried to come up and trap, and that had its own problems. But it's just it's just strange to me that these teams don't try you know, different coverages and they're not, they're not sophisticated enough to like change it up. Uh, Cause like the, when you get killed by Steph Curry is that when he gets in a rhythm, when he, you know, when he can just kind of ease into his shot, you know, he's a, like, these guys are rhythm shooters. If they can, uh, the, the off the dribble three that he has, that Lillard has, that Harden has like, it's a rhythm shot. You know, it's not Clay Thompson. It's not like he catches the ball midsection every time the same way and never dribbles. It's like it's coming from the bounce. And, and it, it just doesn't make sense to me why these teams can't change up their coverages on pick and roll on like a, a, a possession by possession basis. I mean, they, they have like six assistant coaches. They have like defensive coordinators. You know, this is why like, Scott Brooks was such a genius. He was the only one that could keep uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he's, uh, Curry he under his, 30. He got his brain trust together. Trapping. Yeah. Was Berta- like the- Berton's trapping? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> That's right. It was the uh, element of surprise. Everyone was. It was Rolo, man. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just think it's interesting because the Bucks as well, they, you know, they've done more switching this year. That's like a big thing. Like, oh, they're switching more. Like, oh, wait, you have the, the best defensive player in the, you know, in the world who can guard five positions better than anyone, but you don't switch. You know, in a, in a in an era where switching is the one thing that can stop people, if you can actually switch and do the Anthony Davis thing, but they started switching and it's like, oh, we don't know how to do this. The switching stuff is so confusing and complex. This is like an NFL defense. Like we can only play man or zone in the game. We can't switch back and forth at all. Like we can't switch our coverages up because what are we gonna do? It's like Michael Lewis said. He said like people think football players are the dumbest athletes. They're actually the smartest athletes. They have to know how to do all this stuff. The baseball players are dumb as posts. That's for sure. I think NBA is like in between the two, but it's like they, they treat them like they're children. Like you can't like Joel Embiid's supposed to be the, the, the defensive player of the year and he can't come up and trap one time, drop back the next switch, like just kind of make them make decisions. Cause like, again, like Steph Curry is the best. He can be a little loose with the ball. Again, Draymond Green has the ball in his hands. He's got a lot of assists, but like him kicking to Oubre or Wiggins in the corner, I'm, I'm good with that. Do you think, uh, since we'll be entering in the playoffs, we might at least see a little more sophisticated defensive approach? I mean, look at even how teams played Giannis in the playoffs. It, the last couple yes. of years, it was a different game. Like they knew how to form a line and 
and how to at least slow him down a little bit. So maybe at least point. in a, a series against Curry, we might see a little bit more of a, a deliberate attempt to uh, make those centers work a little more. Well, but in the same time, you're going to have more sophisticated offenses too. I mean, obviously, I think both things evolve. That's the greatness that comes with the NBA playoffs, right? Is you have seven games, uh, you have teams that see each other over two weeks, and, and, and the game is sort of this chess match, and that's... You know, that's what I, I, I see this thing brewing with the centers, and that's where it kind of brought the thought to my head was like, you know, if Curry and the and the Warriors, who I think of like had a plus nine overall net rating in the last 11 games, even though they, I mean, I think they've only been eight and sure, three, but they sure. were, they, they were, they've, they've been coming out really hot and playing really well now that they're mostly healthy. You know, you just look for. I mean, I don't think they're going to beat the Jazz necessarily, but I can see a series where Gobert just can't play. I mean, right? If the if whoever the center is, Draymond, Looney, whoever is screening for Curry regularly. I mean, Curry's so dangerous because even if you trap him, he just resets so quickly yeah, yeah. that then you're playing four on three and chasing the greatest shooter of all time around the court. That's right. It's not like the hard end. You're right. Harding gets doubled. He passes and stands there. And and he stands at 35 feet with his hands on his shorts. So, well, you know, he's he's a little more svelte now. He might move a few feet left and right. And and with Brooklyn, he's got it down. But you're right. If he comes off the ball, I, but, but that's but that's just what I think is so curious to see how each of these different teams play it. Right. I mean, that's the thing that, that New Orleans did to the Blazers several years ago was trapping the ball out of Lillard's hands and, and it really changed well, Lillard's but, career trajectory. But who did, they ha- who did they have, though? But the, Exactly. They had Holiday. They had Anthony and Davis. They, they had the guy we're talking and, about. And AD. Guy, because really, like the, the, the key thing is having a big guy who can switch, but then if you switch on him when he's on offense, he will just destroy you, right? I mean, Jokic can't switch on defense. He's he's mediocre defensive player. But if you try and switch him on a pick and roll, he's going to go down and just destroy you in the post. Anthony Davis does both. Like, that's what's crazy about him is he can switch on defense. And on the other. Go back into your point, D. I, I do think the the it, it does show as we look at going to this playoffs. I, you know, looking for a team like last year's Heat, looking for a team like the last few years Raptors, who are you know have some really plus defenders. You know, like Bam and Jimmy or uh, Lowry Van Vliet. Um, kind of all those different dudes on Toronto, you know, when they had Gasol and Ibaka, but like, like, like teams that have legit defenders plus they're sophisticated and well coached and they can do different stuff. I mean, I think that's like, that's what those teams can do. I think the Raptors and heat were the best examples. They can do different things. They can change up. You saw it with the Lakers last year with Vogel where it's like, they started trapping. This is what we're talking about. They started trapping James Harden, but they didn't trap him early. They trapped him late to, in some ways, to deal with the problem. Michael's saying kind of the hard inversion instead of Curry going off the ball, Harden would get trapped, pass the ball, then he just get it back again and go against a scattered defense on the ball. And it was just kind of, it was very effective. They would wait till the last 10 seconds of the shot clock and then trap. And then he had to pass it up and they're, you know, letting Tucker shoot three pointers or runners and stuff. And that worked out great for them. But I, I think we should be looking. When we look at the playoffs this year, we look for the teams that have some t- talent defensively, but also at the teams that can be flexible and change up what they're doing. Um, and, I, and I do think that's hard to do. Like I do th- I mean, Zach Lowe always points this out that like playing on a string, playing together, making sure you're like helping and moving and making the right calls on defense. I mean, that's, re- that's it's hard. And that's why, you know, like, 
coaches like Stan Van Gundy like lose it because they see so clearly the like very like apparently simple things that like their players can't do and it impacts their willingness to play young players but at the same time so I guess I'm actually with Stan Van Gundy and these guys <laughs> that like you got to ask more of these players that they can the actually light. run a defense like high school kids they should be this. more like football <laughs> players and less like baseball players um so and, but, but so I go ahead well, I just I'm curious. I mean, this is the the, the the weekly temperature check. I feel like I've asked this question in the last month, but I mean, do you guys based on everything you're just talking about, Ryan, which feels so fair and fitting for where we're at and what makes Well, thank you very the, much, Michael. That's the, that's great. the roster creation of in Philly and Milwaukee to be potentially quite interesting, particularly right in the context of the Brooklyn Nets, right? Brooklyn, I think we're all sort of assumed to be the preeminent favorite in the East, if not the, the entire league. And, you know, injuries aside, if Harden is able to come back, I mean, obviously KD is back. I mean, it's so funny. Anthony Davis comes back and goes like nine for 30 in his first two games. KD comes back and like walks into 25 like he's not even playing. I mean, it's just that guy was born to score and born to be a compliment to Kyrie and Harden. I mean, he just he just fits right in. And so Brooklyn look, looks great, but you have Milwaukee with three-ish, three-and-a-half-plus defenders. You have you Who's have the, who's the half? With, who's the half? Oh, yeah, Tucker, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tucker, Tucker, Tucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Mean, yep. He's sort, then, of like Coving, he's sort of like Covington. Good help defender. Exactly. Gonna, he's yeah. a good role defender. And and then How Philly, many first-round right, picks have, did, they, did they give up for Tucker? Okay, just continue on. Go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Three seconds, but besides the point, uh, Philly, I think, has multiple-plus defenders, too. I mean, I think there's a lot of different looks both of those teams can 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 ultimately offer, both by having plus perimeter defenders, whether it's Simmons or Holiday, and then plus big defenders. And, they're, I mean, Giannis and, and Embiid are not the same, but they have similar characteristics in terms of their length and flexibility. I mean, I'm curious to see, do you guys think – the East should we should consider the East to be a bit more wide open due to the variability that can come from kind of the defensive looks that that all these teams can throw at at the favorite in Brooklyn. I think that I think the Nets have been uh, possibly sandbagging it now for a little while. I mean, Durant comes back and looks like he had no time off. Maybe Harden's fine. Remember that game when they played the 76ers and it was like, oh, this big matchup. And then Nash just sat everybody. He didn't. He didn't want to. <laughs> he didn't want to play his cards. Everything has been about the playoffs for them. They've been scheming for a while now, and all the pieces are actually falling into place. So to the question, who is going to be most healthy? If they are fully healthy, I know the big three. The big three probably haven't had much run together, but they probably practice together every in an undisclosed location. So they've been working together for a while. Something there's some type of. Uh, uh, scheme that they're running there with the Nets, but uh, that doesn't quite address your question, but Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, is there, if you have Stan Van Gundy on the misery coach index, where he's by far the most like miserable coach we have in the league, Steve Kerr, for some reason is out there too. The happiest coach has got to be Mike D'Antoni. He is like, he's, he's the, he doesn't have to worry about being head coach. He just gets to run the offense do his thing. He loves Steve Nash. He made his career. He's his wingman. He used to hang out, go to dinner at night. He doesn't have to do anything. Like all the guys there love him. Like Harden came to play for him. Like Jeff Green says he is like the he's like changed his career. He's the reason he's so good. I mean, D'Antoni is just hanging. Can you imagine? Like, I just picture like when Nash is like, Hey, hey, Mike, hey Mike, 
I'm going to sit everybody against the Sixers. That'll show Doc, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, Steve, that's great. You know? it's like, they're just having fun, man. They're, they're, I'm with D. I think they're waiting. I think, you know, the Harden thing is a little little scary. But, I mean, like, if they just have Kyrie and Durant, like, how far can they get just with those two? Well, and that's I mean, the thing. Can, I, I joke about Who would them. be an f- obvious yeah. favorite over them if Harden's out? Well, I think it is all to me. It substantially matters who's the one seed in the East. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things coming down the stretch here. Is is this particularly in the East with the one through three being as close as they are, and Milwaukee's a few extra games back, but those three teams all have the opportunity to have some jockeying there. And if you're the one seed, you get to play, you know, the Washington Wizards corpse potentially, right? You the Pacers, whoa, 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 whoa. the Hornets, Whoever's the one to avoid that, get off my lawn. Avoid the Wizards so, at all costs. I know, right? I this just want to see drunk. a wizard. Look, Wizards get the AT out of the plan. They upset the Nets, and it's it's Hawks Wizards second <laughs> round. It's in our future, guys. I can't wait. <laughs> My favorite thing about a Wizards Nets series would that be Russell Westbrook unequivocally would be consider himself the best player in that in in that oh, series. Man. And he's no no higher than the fifth best player in that series, I think. Oh my gosh, that's too um, much. But if you're the one seed, you get to play basically the eight seed, the worst team to make the playoffs in the entire NBA, and then you get to play the winner of Knicks Hawks. Yeah, pending you avoid, some you shifting. avoid the Heat. You, well, you avoid the Heat. Yeah. You have the Celtics, yeah. and and then you have Buck Sixers in the second round. Yeah. I mean, that's just a bloodbath if you're the one seed. Uh, to be able to avoid that is would be such an advantage. So I mean, again, if there's just two of them, I think they're still probably a favorite. But I do, I do think the level of defense and the strategy that can come. I think I'm finding myself leaning more into Milwaukee as a viable hey, kind of punter's chance in the conference. Let's check the uh, research department. Who had the Milwaukee Bucks coming out? Oh, Ryan had the Bucks <laughs> coming out. A little hedge against the Sixers. Where are you in the prediction so, standings it, then, Ryan? You must be like right near the top. Oh, oh wait, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't really understand. I know that we had a, a you know a longtime participant, founder of the predictions league, went to MIT, come up with these like the numbers we use to calculate who wins. I don't understand them at all. You you if you finish like four spots off, it's a negative four. But if you're four spots ahead, it's a plus four. Could someone explain to me how these are calculated, Mr. Accountant? This is like the, the, the Mavericks complaining that there's tell a. Me how this works. This is like the Mavericks complaining that there's a play-in tournament when they realize that they're going to be in the play-in tournament. Um, when the numbers are not suiting you, I mean, I didn't hear this at the beginning of the season, right? Yeah, Cubans um, cackling <laughs> right now. Now that they're firmly in the sixth seed, as they watch, you know, Neil Olshay and Terry Stotts just ad- absolutely flame the entire Blazers organization. But we could certainly have the uh, stop the steal, stop the steal. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> we could certainly have Scott uh, come on and explain his system. I'm sure he'd love to take that. I think we would all be more confused. I feel like this is the year of the Academy Awards where the Price Waterhouse Coopers guy was like drinking on the side when they got the wrong. They, they said La La Land won. <laughs> they lost actually. So I don't know, Mister Accountant. Let's uh, La La, La Moonlight. Let's check those numbers. Yeah, Moonlight was the real winner. And Warren hey, ba- hey, and Warren what, Bainey got go, stuck in the middle. Just. Go- <laughs> Just going back, <laughs> that picture of We've come full Warren circle. Beatty, that was like, he's just like, ah, ah. <laughs> they were missing Warren Beatty last night. That would have been perfect if he had been the one giving it. Like, Didn't Jimmy Kimmel say, Warren, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> just going back to AD, 
I, I think there was a there's a there's a basketball guy, Jason Maples. He's like a Golden State Twitter guy, and he he made a point which I thought was really interesting. I'm just curious to hear your guys' take on this. He said that if Anthony Davis was on the Bucks the last three years, they would have been a lottery team all three years. <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. He's like the most influential player in the playoffs last year. But then you think about his New Orleans teams. I mean, was the, is, is Giannis's talent that much more? I mean, he has Middleton, but he had Holiday. Like, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, if Davis is with the Bucks with their current cast of characters or the last two years before this one, too, like, how good would they have been? I'd say about the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I mean, I think they're certainly Giannis and AD are such a fascinating comparison to me because I think in this, this, this harkens back to a Ben Thompsonism that, that basically there's, there's offensive creators, there's offensive finishers and, and ultimately AD is the prototype sort of offensive finisher. Uh, and, and and Giannis ultimately could be as good as AD is in that role, but because Giannis has had to play this creator initiator role much more, um, it sort of inhibited his growth as a player. Now that said, I think AD on the Lakers is sort of the peak of his powers. AD and I and that's not just because of what he has to do there. I think it's because. You know, you don't, you don't, I don't want to go it too psychological, but I think there's a component where AD in New Orleans sometimes would sort of shrink from, from the moment, right? It's just, he's not a high volume, high usage ball dominator creator in the way that a lot of these teams to be able to sort of drag themselves out of, you know, the lottery into the low playoff seed needs. And, and AD was just never going to assume that role. He didn't in New Orleans, and he doesn't in L.A., and he doesn't need to in L.A. because he's playing the next uh, next to the second or the best player of all time, hey, right? Hey, second, hey, second, easy. Second, easy. No, second, second. He may, he may have the second. So, he he only has the second most 30-point games, okay? All right? Not, not the first. <laughs> Where, whereas – I think Greek was able to assume that creator role much more willingly, despite the fact that I think it's probably inhibited some of his growth and, and, and his upside as, you know, an ultimately a difference making player. Right. I mean, if you put Giannis next to, I think interestingly, the inverse is really fascinating. If you put Giannis next to LeBron, what oh does, you gosh. know, does it like, I mean, obviously you limit some of the shooting and the spread, but all the other stuff is like, it would just be bonkers. So I just, I don't know. It feels like a stretch that they'd be a lottery team for three straight years, but but I don't think they would be as good as they are. I think Giannis fits his role with the Bucks much better than AD ever could. It's a really good point just about Davis and how he fits with LeBron. I never really thought about it till now, but really he's like 92 Pippen. Like Anthony Davis is like 92 Pippen, where Chuck Daly, he was the third best player on the Dream Team. He's the third best player in the league. It was Jordan, Barkley, and him. Those are the three guys Chuck Daly wanted were going to start. Like they were the automatic guys on the team. They were the best three players. And Anthony Davis is probably like the third best player in the league. But like he has the guy on his team who's the second best player, the first best player on his team. So it's like it's this perfect fit that you, you know, a guy who can defend, who can do all those sorts of things, he fits right with him. Um, and then being the type of big man who can do the things we've talked about. So I think it's an interesting point, I guess. But D, I see a skeptical look. Your perspective, you disagree with Mr. Maples. And uh, even Mr. Michael here, and you think it'd be the same. They'd be rolling. Coach Bud would be going strong. 
They'd be shooting more threes. No, I actually, I actually don't have a very strong opinion on it, and I actually, I think there's there's something to uh, Michael's a lot to Michael's analysis there. So I, I think there would be a difference. I'm, I can be sold on that, um, but I don't see a significant difference where they would be a, a lottery team. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. You didn't so, rise to the bait. That was a very reasonable response. Well, I do, I do think it's fascinating to think about going into the playoffs now that AD is back. LeBron is, I think, forecast to come back here in the next week or so. We're pretty stuck on this. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. That we're pretty stuck on a Denver-LA Lakers sort of first-round matchup here in the Western Conference. And I think we talked about who we thought the Lakers would want to play. And obviously, this was pre-Murray injury. Um, but I think there's... It, What's fascinating is to watch the, the Nuggets have dropped a few games. I think they have a, a much lower margin for error, but it does seem like the Nuggets at times aren't nearly as affected by this Murray injury as I would, or at least, you know, I think common refrain would expect you to assume. I mean, do you think looking forward to this first round matchup, like can Jokic go full, you know, full Dirk here and, and, and really push the Lakers in the first round? Or is AD too much of a problem? I mean, he's really the only guy in the league that can really give Jokic consistent long-term problems, it seems like. I think the bigger question uh, is who's going to guard MJP? <laughs> I mean, and how, how big LeBron a loss better is get back, LeBron better get back and get healthy, man, because MJP, he's like he's a little Durantish. He's like 6'10", and he shoots up high. As he was saying this week, he thinks it's so amazing because Steph Curry not only is a point guard, but he also shoots kind of – I mean, not D-Love from the hip style, but sort of in the more in the middle level, where Porter shoots like he shoots his elbow up over his head. And he's already like seven feet tall. Like that guy is rolling right now. And, and and let's put it this way. You know, you know, my take on Murray, he's sort of a better version of Bibby. Obviously, he's shown like great stuff in the playoffs. It's an awful, awful thing that he's hurt. But it's really a bummer to me that Monte Morris got hurt, because if you're going to spend nine million dollars on your backup point guard, like you shouldn't lose that much off of your starter. Like nine billion bucks back. I mean, how many guys are that like that in the league? There's not that many. Like they obviously thought this guy is legit that they would like. I mean, put him there. So I was really like interested. I was like, wow. Like if he, if Murray Lee is, is out, can Morris come in and do it? I mean, and they're doing pretty well right now with Compazzo. I mean, Compazzo. I mean, I mean that's. I mean that's that's the weak link if they put when they play the Lakers because it's going to be like get him on a switch, you know. I mean, I mean, I mean, Caldwell Pope is going to be in the in the post, you know. Everyone's going to be in the post. It's going to be be ugly. But if you know Morris comes back, obviously Barton's hurt too, you know. Jokic and Porter though offensively are so good that you can win a couple games just with those guys. Just if they play at the peak of their powers at the same time, I mean. It's it's crazy, and again, I will I will keep on this topic way way too much. But if they had just kept Jeremy Grant and they traded for Gordon, they would have Jeremy Grant and Gordon and Jokic and Porter right now. And guess what? Like if Morris comes back, Will Barton comes back, that's a winning team, man. That's still a winning team. That's still a team that has a chance to win a title. Like hmm. you know, it's just when you have like Green and Millsap kind of as your supporting cast, it's a little harder. So. All right, guys. Well, that is a matchup we are all we would look forward to. Denver Lakers round one, but we're ready to wrap it up with some trivia here, and we're gonna stick with um, 
some of the elite players. We have another question that is uh, going to involve Jordan and LeBron again. Remind me who Muggsy won last Bogues. week? Who got it right last week? Mike, Michael's oh, up think... three. Michael's okay, up three. Okay, Michael's up three. Ooh, extend the lead once again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who has won more MVPs? Jordan, LeBron, Magic, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Three, three Lakers in there. Yeah, LeBron, Magic. Michael, are you checking your phone? Is that <laughs> this is a podcast. Oh, <laughs> I'm a visual oh, learner, guys. Sorry, you're writing he's, it down. He's proven he has the notepad. This is like during the, the presidential debate. Home. Like, what was Trump writing, really? I mean, what, what are the presidential nominees write during the debate when they're, like, ignoring? Dumb, dumb, Like, dumb, what are they writing dumb. down? This is just Tr- a kind of... Pre- Trump doesn't, it, doesn't write. He tweets. Is it like when they only will point their thumb at you because they never want to point the fingers? It's always the thumb. It's always like, <laughs> it's like, it's like frosty westering, you know. <laughs> Do you think when he takes notes, he only does it in caps the way he types on his BlackBerry? <laughs> <laughs> Todd from Idaho has uh, turned off the podcast. You can't really I... throw a podcast; you delete it. So I think. Uh... <laughs> oh man, I you know Derek, this is a good one. Most. MVPs. Are we, are we including finals MVPs? Just to double check. <laughs> no, we are not including finals MVPs. Regular season MVPs yes. only. Just I mean, to be clear. is Andre Iguodala on the list that D-Lo gave <laughs> us? No, we're not getting finals MVPs. <laughs> That's the worst part is Steph is not going to, like, he won't have a finals MVP. And that I will know, be it's ridiculous. It's he, just like. We should be able to retroactively go back, give some, make a change and, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but I don't. As much well, as I love Nash as a I just, player, I don't think he should be won two MVPs when some guys have only won one, who like Kobe Bryant and et cetera. But anyhow, that's another topic of it. Well, related to the Finals MVP, I why don't we have a playoffs MVP? Like, I get that maybe in the five or six or seven games of a NBA Finals, you might have a unique performance sort of stand out. But like, why don't we have a playoffs MVP that sort of demonstrates the most dominant player for that playoff run versus somebody, you know, Andre Iguodala who happened to perform really well in the 16 finals. Was there an all bubble team? Was there an all bubble team or like an all? Yes. There was, wasn't there? There was, I think there, I don't remember exactly, but there was some like, Oh, he was like an all bubble because of how well they played in the bubble. So I, I I mean, I don't know if I need to see like a playoff MVP, but it'd be pretty cool to have like all you know, like you know, you're maybe just the high school basketball player in me. But like you go to the state tournaments, like all tournament, second team all tournament. You know, they, he got his team to the quarterfinals. You know, he <laughs> just lost by two to the eventual state champion. Put him on the second team. You know, so it's like <laughs> that, that would be. I'd be down with that for sure. Um, uh, all bubble first team: Lillard, Harden, Doncic, Devin Booker, undefeated, eight and Phoenix Suns. That was a that was that portended what to come. Uh, and TJ Warren, remember he oh, had the wow. multiple fifty-point games. TJ I think. can score. Uh, and then all bubble second team: Giannis, Kawhi, Karis Levert, nearly knocking the Blazers out. Of oh yeah, he missed that, that jumper. Yeah. Missed. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, MPJ and Kristaps Porzingis, all bubble second team. So, all right. go down in uh, history. I think probably Lillard put that next to his second team All NBA. 
plaque. So it's pretty good. Um, well, clearly, you guys are buying <laughs> time to try to think of an Wait, answer. Was here. Daniel? Was <laughs> Daniel House? Was he third team all bubble? Is that right? <laughs> uh, uh, Tucker was. Uh, I am going to go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That is my answer for most regular season MVPs. So this is how this works, everybody. So when I guess the same thing as Michael, we both get it wrong. And when I guess something different than Michael, I get it wrong. So this will be a both get it wrong situation. I also go with Kareem. Nobody's wrong tonight. It is Kareem hey! Abdul-Jabbar with six MVPs. <laughs> surpassed Jordan, who had five MVPs. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm, I'm showing you the post-it note. I think I got all of them right. Um, Kareem has six, right? Correct. MJ, five. LeBron, four. Le- LeBron has four. Magic? Should have, like, and then I had three for Magic. If you're trying to make a point that you weren't Googling this at the same time when you get them all, uh, maybe that's your alibi, actually. Your, yeah. Your boy. Yes, when that is a, correct. Just you. I mean, the problem is as LeBron, I mean, the Derrick Rose MVP, I mean, I guess you have the Carl Malone MVP for MJ in 97, but the the Derrick Rose MVP should have been LeBron's, right? I mean, in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I guess he gets hurt, but. It feels like there's a little bit of uh, there's a little LeBron fatigue at that point. No, it happens a lot. Yeah, Jordan would have, should have won more. I mean, yeah, the best player does not always win the award. There's other stuff that factors in. Well, and I think Kareem winning six. I mean, the era had something to do with the the seventies and, and the eighties. Was uh, I, I'm listening to a podcast that Ryan, you actually sent me death at the wing. I mean, there's not, there's the culture around the NBA in the seventies and eighties is not exactly, um, one that was furthering the, the, the competitive balance of the league. So to have a, you know, a seven foot guy with an un, undefendable hook shot dominating the league. I mean, that was sort of the story of basketball until show, the showtime Lakers, I guess, but it no. wasn't the Eastern league. Now that Michael has denigrated the 70s in the NBA, uh, we, this is a good transition point. But uh, your point's well taken, and congratulations <laughs> on a on a job well done, Ryan. I'm sure it's tempting to go with a different answer, but uh, hey, welcome back, man. Welcome back to the winner circle. <laughs> good to be back. Good to have you. It's been about a month, so thank you. All right, guys. Our apologies to Neil O'Shea. He cannot tell us why he wanted Covington this time because we did run out of time. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs>